Have you ever been fixated on something? You just can't get your mind off whatever this is. I expect all of you probably have it at some point in time. We, we all have things that, that we fixate upon that, that gain our focus. I, I know my son Daniel, he was known in our family when he was young for being fixated on spending his money. For example, if he got a birthday gift, I, I, I think it may be possible that the world would stop turning if he wasn't able to spend that money quickly. I'm not sure, but that seemed to be at least the impression that, that we had. I know it was conf- there was no doubt that his mother and I would go crazy if he didn't get to the store soon because he would beg us constantly to go and spend his money. Sadly, he probably got that trait from me because I, I don't tend to want a lot of things. I, I, I have very few desires. In fact, even when my family asks for a Christmas list, I usually have nothing I can give them. But, but I do know when I decide I want something, it does tend to occupy a very great portion of my brain and, until I make the purchase. Uh, I become fixated on, on acquiring whatever it is. Well, this morning, we will see our text gives us the idea of fixation. And our text also really directs us to what we ought to fixate upon. We're continuing in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Colossian church. This morning, Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He's there because of his gospel work. He's there because he's convinced that the gospel of Jesus Christ is what transforms people, that, that it is what people need to hear. So he makes communicating that gospel, in his mind, something that's worth any struggle. In other words, his imprisonment even is worthwhile because it serves to further the gospel's transforming work in others. Last week, Paul focused the, the first sentence of chapter 2 on Christ. Christ is, is the one in whom we find, according to verse 3, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the one Paul encouraged the first century readers in, in the church there in class A to fixate upon. Christ is the one that we should fixate on as well. The, the idea of fixation is what we continue to find in our verses this morning. This continued idea of fixating on Christ, we'll, we'll see that Christ produces stability in the lives of those fixated on him. Christ produces stability in lives fixated on him. We need to fixate on Christ. We live in a world that, that needs stability, don't we? We need stability. Just Friday, as I was driving into the office Friday morning, I heard on the radio that psychologists are recognizing that as a nation, people are losing their stability. We're, we're breaking down when it comes to what psychologists would deem as being stable people. There, there's increasingly violent confrontations happening in our country. We, we were reminded of that again yesterday by the shooting in Texas at the mall. People no longer know how to de-escalate situations. They're, they're unable to deal with frustrations and disappointments. and They're losing their ability to disagree with one another without becoming a personal attack. People are unable to maintain what psychologists call stability as they go through their daily routines. Christ produces stability in lives fixated on him. 
That, that word fixated is defined in the dictionary as causing someone to acquire an obsessive attachment to someone or something. When I read the definition, I almost considered using a different word because we tend to think that obsessing on something is problematic in general. We, we generally are taught to avoid obsessive attachments to people or things. And yet the more I contemplated it, the, the more I realized there is no better focus in our lives than an obsessive focus on Christ. We are to obsess on Christ. So I stuck with the word fixated. Yeah, I want to ask you this morning, are you fixated on Christ? As we look at our, our text this morning, let me ask, are you stable in your life? Do you have stability? Are you fixated on Christ? We're going to consider, as you can see on the screen, verses 4 through 7 of Colossians chapter 2. Let, let's read those verses together. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. These verses show us two ways in which Christ generates stability in our lives. Two ways that he increases our stability as we fixate on him. In verses 4 and 5, we discover that first, stability comes through trusting Christ in our thinking. A function of our mind, trusting Christ in our thinking. Remember, Paul's focus is on Christ. Christ is who Paul has highlighted at, as he began chapter 2 with a previous sentence. And now he reaches back to that, that focus on Christ and he says, I say this, everything that I just wrote you, I say this so that no one will delude you. This is Paul's first warning in this letter about false teachers. I, I told you that Paul wrote this letter because there's false teachers there. They're trying to bring various heretical ideas into this church in Colossae. They're trying to, to get into the, the church. But this is the first real whiff of them that, that we have reading through the letter. There are people who are trying to introduce false ideas to the church, false ideas that, that would produce instability rather than stability. And Paul says, this is the problem. The problem why do you think there's so much instability in our country? It's because false ideas have been accepted as truth by many people. Why is there instability in your life? Probably for the same reason. You are accepting false ideas instead of true ideas. False ideas are being promoted here to the Colossian believers by false teachers, but they're being presented as truth. What is the solution that Paul holds out as he brings this issue up? Christ. Paul says Christ is the answer. Paul's pointed to Christ. He said all the hope, uh, treasures of, and wisdom are in Christ. He's pointed him and he continues to point to Christ. Paul's pointed to Christ. Paul is pointing to Christ. Paul will point to Christ. It's all Christ. 
Christ is the answer to the false teaching. Trusting Christ is the answer to stability. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this first point, but I do want to observe two things that that will help us trust Christ in our thinking. Two things that we find in these first two verses. First, we trust Christ in our thinking when we look past eloquent speech. When we look past eloquent speech. Paul's concern is that some of these really relatively young believers, because the church is not very old at this point, Paul's concern is some of these young believers not become deluded or or not become deceived in their thinking with persuasive arguments. The the King James, I love the word the King James uses, says not become beguiled. Beguiled, that's a great word for, for being tricked by persuasive language. The, the, idea is, the idea here is these false teachers, they're using eloquent words, eloquent speech. But they don't have solid logical arguments that support their position. They're, they're not demonstrating the truth of their position. Instead, they're moving people with smooth rhetoric and, and passionate delivery. They sound convincing, even though their ideas are false. I, I remember one time listening to a speech given by a politician This was the first time I heard this particular politician speak, and it was probably one of the most eloquent deliveries I've ever heard. My my first impression as I started listening was, wow, this person's impressive. Then I started listening to what the person actually said, not just how it was said. After several minutes, I concluded the person had yet to make a single point The person had piled up mountains of of platitudes and eloquent speech, but nothing had been said. No positions had been taken. No policy suggestion had been made. It was all eloquence with, with no content. Well, church history is littered with heresies that have damaged the, the church of Jesus Christ greatly because they've been presented by eloquent speakers. Today, churches are being destroyed by eloquent speakers that supplant gospel-preaching men. These eloquent speakers end up functioning as spiritual leaders over believers. Passionate YouTube speakers and eloquent media posters, they're, they're bringing all sorts of heresy into Christ's church. As Christians give greater ear to these speakers in the the social sphere than they spend to the faithful preachers in church. Now, they give greater ear to to these speakers than those who are faithful but less dynamic Bible teachers in the local church. We all need to learn to listen to what is said about Christ, not how it is said. We need to look past the eloquent speech for Christ. If Christ and Christ alone is not taught, ignore the speaker. If you cannot find it directly coming out of Scripture, ignore the speaker. The first thing we need trust to, to trust Christ in our speaking is we need to learn. My mouth is just as jumbled as Pastor Aaron's was earlier, I think. If if We need to learn to trust Christ in our thinking. And the first thing that we have that helps us in our thinking 
is to look past people speaking. We need to look past eloquent speech for Christ. Second, we need to learn to trust Christ more by honoring stability and orderliness in other believers. Honoring stability and orderliness. We all have heroes in our minds, people that, that we hold up as models. Sadly, the, the main heroes that, that people have in our culture right now are fictitious. They're, they're superheroes from comic books and movies. People hold up these Marvel Avengers and various other superheroes as these are the people to emulate. The ideal people in a lot of people's minds are people who deal with chaos by creating more chaos. They, they refuse to admit defeat no matter the odds. Often they, they have some sort of a dark backstory that, that leaves them with a whole lot of internal angst that they have to work through while they're fighting against all odds. That's the storyline of a hero these days. Frankly, these are not the traits that Paul holds up as praiseworthy. He holds up the Colossian believers' good discipline and stability. Look at that there in, in verse 5. I'm rejoicing to see your good discipline and stability of faith in Christ. The Colossians have remained faithful to Christ. They remain committed to the church. They remain steadfast in their faith in Christ. That that's behavior reflects stable and orderly thinking. They're, they're not allowing the turmoil of ideas and circumstances to, to throw them into a mental tailspin. Let me ask you. Are you a stable and orderly person? Our culture glamorizes extremes. It praises those who, according to the culture, are true to their emotions. In other words, people who just let their emotions go. Our culture even offers all sorts of excuses through clinical diagnosis to those who find it hard to control their thinking. Yet the Bible commends people who head in the other direction. The Bible commends people who keep their emotions in check. The Bible commends people who are stable in their thinking. Are you listening to our culture? Are you listening to Scripture? Are you working to develop self-control in your mind? Are you honoring those who are stable and orderly with their own lives? Those who continually reflect confidence in Christ? Are you setting these types of people up as the model that you're trying to emulate? Such people may seem unexciting. They're, they're not the superheroes our culture holds up. But they're the heroes that Scripture holds up. And they're the heroes who will point you towards stability in Christ yourself. Honoring such people in your thinking reflects trust in Christ. Because these are the people that Scripture honors. We can trust Christ in our thinking when we honor stability and orderliness in other believers. Christ. Christ produces stability in lives that are fixated on Him. That is our main idea. And the first way that Christ produces this stability in our lives is through trusting Him in our thinking. Thinking what He thinks. Honoring what He honors. Second, 
Stability comes through reflecting Christ in our living. Not just in our thinking, but in our living. In the things we do, in what we act out. Stability comes as we reflect Christ that way as well. In verse 6 here, Paul reminds the Colossians that they accepted Jesus the Savior. They accepted him as Lord. They accepted him when they believed the gospel. They accepted Christ by accepting him as Savior. They believe that he died for their sins. They believe that he rose again in victory from the dead. They believe that they have no hope apart from Jesus. They accepted the gospel message. They placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone. Have you done that? If not, talk to me after this service. Let me share with you how you can have faith in Jesus Christ. Send me an email this week. I would love to sit down and talk with you and explain how you can have faith in Jesus Christ. Paul simply reminds Colossians, you did this. You did this. You received Christ Jesus the Lord. If you haven't done that, talk to me. Paul now reminds them, you did this when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ to save you. You did this, but that is not a one-time event. Because you believed in him, now you walk in him. Walk in him. That means their conduct, the way they live their lives, the way they live their life is to conform to the faith they possess. Their lives are to reflect that they now share Christ's life. One thing to note is that verse 6 contains an imperative. That, that means it's a command. It's an inspired directive. This is what God has told us we are to do. The Colossians and us are to live our lives reflecting that we are in Christ. The command that we read in verse 6 applies just as much to every one of us who has accepted Jesus as Savior as it applied to the Colossians. We are to walk in Christ. We have an obligation to obey the, the divine directive that's given here. We're to walk in Him. That, that means living our lives, reflecting that, that we share Christ's life through our faith. We are not just in Christ in our minds, not just in our thinking. We are in Christ in our actions. To help us understand what this kind of life looks like, Paul gives us four components in the next verse. Four things that, that help us reflect Christ in our living. What it means to walk in Him. First, we base our lives on our gospel faith in Christ. We base our lives on that. Of the four items that Paul lists in verse 4, or in verse 7 rather, there's four items here. The last three are all given in the present tense. The first one, however, uses a, a verb that points to something that's happened in our past, something that, that we've experienced. He says, having been firmly rooted. Something happened in the past that affected the Colossians' reality now. What was it? He said, their faith in the gospel. That faith in the gospel firmly rooted them it's already happened. When they trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, at that point, they were firmly rooted. A moment ago, I asked, do you have faith in Jesus Christ? If you answer yes, if you can think of a moment in your life where you placed your faith for the first time in Jesus Christ, and from that moment on, you believe in Him as Lord and Savior, then you too have had this past event. You are firmly rooted Paul's using an agricultural metaphor, obviously, 
being firmly rooted, that's, that pictures a plant, a healthy plant has to have firm roots. All of us who have tried to grow plants of any kind, we, we know that. So Paul uses this idea to impress on us that, that believing in the gospel places one firmly in the Christian faith. We are firmly planted at that moment of salvation. We have firm Christian roots Roots that, that provide what is necessary for us to be healthy Christians, to grow as plants who are healthy. Now, now this is getting a bit ahead of things, but it becomes clear as we go through the letter that, that some of the false teachers are proposing that, that the Colossians need more than just the gospel they believed at the beginning. They need, in other words, they need more than just faith in Christ to be healthy Christians. Yes, they need faith in Christ. They're not out and out denying that, but they're saying you need to add to that more to really be a, a, a Christian. Paul is addressing that false idea by pointing out that they're already rooted in Christ. There's nothing else that's needed to keep them in Christ. One of the tricks that Satan loves to use, to give to doubt, that we're truly saved. He, he loves to make us have that doubt to, to think that, yeah, we were saved at one point in time. We, we trust Christ. I, I'm not sure I am now. We hear about new ideas that advocate a more vibrant Christian experience than what we're having. That, that seem to give more excitement than, than simple faith in Jesus. Usually, Satan brings that along at just the time that we're feeling frail and weak ourselves through, through some circumstance of life. And we begin to wonder, are we missing something? We need to go back to this basic truth. The Bible clearly teaches that we are fully and completely in Christ the moment that we believed in Jesus as Savior. When we believed that he died for our sins, when we believe that his vicarious atonement is ours through faith, at that moment, our position in Christ is settled. We live our lives based on our gospel faith in him. We live our lives based on his work and nothing else. That's the first thing that helps us reflect Christ in our living is to, is to be settled on what we have already received, being firmly rooted at the moment of faith. That's the foundation. That's our roots are established. From there, we add a second idea. We trust God to teach us more about Christ. We trust God to teach us more. Paul switches metaphors. He goes from a plant with firm roots to now a structure. As he, he says, we are also being built up in him. Paul also switches to the present tense when he adds being built up in him. This is no longer past. This is present. This is now. And not to get overly grammatical, but notice that not only is the second term here present, it's also passive, being built up in him. And the first item, as well as the third, they're all passive. Paul uses passive voice in, in these three first items to, to point to divine activity. These are things that God does to us. We don't do them. God is building up in Christ, just as God firmly rooted us in him when we were saved. So what does it mean for God to build us up in Christ? 
Certainly, it comes as no shock to any of you that you did not know everything there was to know about Christ when you believed in Him as Savior. In fact, I hate to break it to you, but none of you know everything you need to know now. Neither do I. We are constantly learning more about Christ as we fixate on Him. We are growing in our knowledge. The reality is that you may have known very little at that first moment when you came to Christ. You knew that you needed Him as Savior, but beyond that, you knew very little about what it means to be in Christ. All you needed to know at that point was that you needed a Savior for your sin, and Jesus is that Savior. That is sufficient to be firmly rooted, but we're now engaged in a lifelong process of learning to live in a way that reflects our reality. We're constantly fine-tuning our, our reflection of our Savior as we put off more sin and, and we put on more of His righteousness. Think of it this way. I have very poor eyesight. I have very poor eyesight. If I were to take off my glasses, I couldn't even read my notes on the, the pulpit here, and I certainly couldn't recognize any of you. You'd look extremely blurry. In fact, by the time we get to the back of church, I probably couldn't figure out if there's one or six of you sitting there. It, my eyes are bad. Unfortunately, my eyes are continually getting worse. I need to regularly get new glasses to fine-tune my vision. Well, unbelievers are somewhat like by my eyes, except they're already as bad as they can get. Unbelievers' view of Christ is completely out of focus. They, they cannot see him at all. We as Christians, we function a little bit like the, the corrective lenses that allow unbelievers to see Christ. They see him through us. Yet, yet the reflection that, that we form needs lifetime of fine-tuning. As we become more like Christ, we reflect him with greater and greater clarity for unbelievers who are looking at him through us. They can see him more clearly as we reflect him more perfectly. This is where the passive voice I mentioned in, in this verse becomes such good news. We're not the ones fine-tuning ourselves. God is. God is the one who fine-tunes us. God continues to teach us more about Christ, and as we learn more about Christ, we live out more of Christ. We trust God to do what he has told us he will do, and that helps us then reflect Christ in our living. We trust God to teach us more about Christ. That's the second thing that helps us reflect Christ in our living. God teaches us more about Christ, and we trust that he will do that as we go through our life. Remember, Christ produces stability in lives fixated on him. As we fixate on Christ, God teaches us more about him. That helps us reflect Christ in our living, allowing us to live fixated on him. Third, we assess everything against the truth of Christ. The, the word that we have translated in NASB is, as established in the New American Standard here is translated as NASB. It has the idea of being confirmed. It, it again, is a present passive idea being confirmed. It's a bit hard to bring into English, but it has the idea of being more and more confident, increasingly confident in the truth that we've received. 
It's really the idea that's expressed in the fourth verse of the hymn, The Bible Stands. When, when I added this to my notes, I didn't realize we were going to sing The Bible Stands this morning, but we've already sung it. And in that fourth verse, it says, The Bible stands, every test we give it, for its author is divine. Frankly, that, that phrase always makes me a little squeamish because I don't want to think that, that we trust the Bible because it passes some tests that, that we give it. That's not the idea. In fact, we're, we are not the ones who judge truth. The Bible gives us truth and we judge everything against the Bible as the standard. But frankly, the author didn't mean that, that we tested the Bible. It means that the Bible passes every time we assess it against anything. It's not that we are assessing it to see it's true. We know it's true, then we use it to judge. He's expressing that as we experience that over and over in our life, as, as we see that the Bible gives the answer to everything in life, our confidence increases. That's the expression he's giving us. And it's something we all know, because it's one thing to believe something intellectually is another thing to experience it personally. And as we go through life, we discover that the gospel truth that we believed at some point in our past indeed sustains us through every situation that we encounter. We experience the, the unfailing truth of the Bible over and over again. Yes, we intellectually know the Bible holds all truth, but we experience it and that gains increasing confidence in our lives. We have it confirmed over and over and over that everything, every new idea can be judged against the Bible. And if it does not measure up to the Bible, it is not truth. No matter what the world might claim, only the truth of Scripture gives us the truth of Christ. We know that if something the world is promoting, no matter how popular the idea is, if it does not line up with Scripture, if it does not line up with the simple truth of faith alone and Christ alone by grace alone, then the idea is false. The third thing that will help us reflect Christ in our living is to simply assess everything against the truth of Christ becoming increasingly confident as we do that. The fourth thing that helps us reflect Christ in our living so that we're fixated on him is to celebrate our union with Christ. Celebrate our union. This is the only idea in verse 7 that is not passive. This last idea of active. In other words, this idea we do. The other ideas God does to us. God builds up our confidence as we see that Scripture is true over and over again, but we are to celebrate our union with Christ. Active means this is something we do, and what we are to do is overflow with gratitude. We are to be overflowing with gratitude. We are to overflow. The, the word overflow it means abundant or plentiful, something that exists in large quantities. In other words, our gratitude is to exist in abundant quantities that overflow is a great translation. A proper understanding of all that we have in Christ should produce gratitude in exceedingly large quantities. We should find that we're overflowing with joy because of our union in Christ. You know, 
thinking of my granddaughters gives me great joy. I'm sure that that comes as no shock to any of you. I have joy simply picturing them in my mind's eye. Just thinking about them makes me smile. Grace also finds joy in our granddaughters. I know that because frequently before we turn off the lights at night, we'll pull up a video that we've received of them doing something and we'll watch it one last time so that as we turn off the lights, we have joy in our hearts. We celebrate our status as grandparents. Our status as Christians is much, much more significant than our status as grandparents. We are condemned, or we were condemned, to eternal damnation. But through our union with Christ, now we are destined for eternal glory. Think about that. Think about that change, that transformation, that status. We are now, through our faith in Christ, our union with Him, we are destined for eternal glory. We are called to serve the one true God. Those of us who as Paul said in the first chapter, we're formerly rebels in mind at war with him. Now we're called to serve him. We're not just pardoned for our, our rebellion. We're given a, a position of, of, a, of responsibility and authority in his kingdom, serving him. Those who were formerly rebels before God can now come into his court with praises and thanksgiving. We have a purpose now that aligns completely and fully with our status as image bearers. We were created to bring glory to God, and that is now what our purpose is. Because we are in Christ. Loved by God the Father. As we think about all these things, as we let them form up in our minds, and we understand them more completely, we have all these causes to celebrate. Let's not lose track here of the fact that Paul is writing to address theological problems. He's writing to confront heresy. Often in sports, it's said that the best defense is a good offense. Well, gratitude for what God has given us through his grace in our union with Christ, that serves as a great offensive measure against false teaching. Paul is mounting an offense here when he tells us to, to celebrate what we have in Christ. Have you ever tried to get a child to, to pick up toys and head to bed after a birthday party? They have all these new toys. They're celebrating that it's their birthday. And you say, it's time for bed. Let's pick everything up and go to bed. It's extremely hard to distract a child from the celebration they're experiencing. Why would we look for anything distract us from Christ when we're busy celebrating what we have in Christ. It'd be like asking that child to go to bed when the, the partiers are still there and the toys are not all unwrapped. Why would we look for anything else when we have Christ, when we're in the midst of celebrating Christ? We celebrate our union with Christ. That's the fourth thing that helps us reflect Christ in our living Stability comes through reflecting Christ in our living. Christ. It is all about Christ. Christ produces stability in lives fixated on him. 
I asked at the outset, are you fixated on Christ? Is he your obsession? I mentioned my son Daniel when he was young with birthday money. I told you I can fixate on things. I'm sure some of you are similar in that you fixate on, on things, but are you fixated on Christ? All of us ought to be. We ought to be fixated on Christ. Christ produces stability in lives fixated on him. If you look at your life and you say, I am lacking stability, then fixate on Christ. Stability comes through trusting Christ in our thinking. Stability comes through trusting or through reflecting Christ in our living. Trusting him in our thinking and reflecting him in our living. That's how we are stable. Because those two things cause us to fixate on Christ. Christ produces stability in lives fixated on him. Let's be fixated on Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for all that you are doing in us. All that enables us to be fixated on Christ. Father, I pray today that you would enable us to examine ourselves to see where we are lacking the fixation that we ought to have. Likely because we've allowed ourselves to be fixated on something that is nothing more than a distraction, a faultless mirage of what will give us true joy when we could be celebrating what we have in Christ. Instead, we celebrate some false image the world holds up. And we find ourselves lacking stability. Father, I pray that you would help us to be men and women who fixate on Christ. Trusting him in our thinking, reflecting him in our living. So that we are joyfully magnifying our Savior. In whose name we pray, amen.